Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Today's interview is with A. Mo. A, or Mo as she prefers to be called, is the co-founder and chief of product at Baden, the maker of productivity tools such as Boomerang for Gmail, a plugin which lets you schedule emails to send later, get email reminders, and track the emails that you send. Baden was founded in January 2010 and to date has raised just under $400,000 in funding. In this interview, we talk about how the team at Baden, which is still just seven people, built the first version of their product in a couple of months and how they've grown that into a profitable multiple seven figures a year business. It's a great interview and there are some important lessons here on how to take a pain that you're experiencing yourself, build a minimum viable product and get that to market quickly to figure out if anybody else cares about that problem and more importantly, is willing to pay for it. So with that, let's bring on Mo. Mo, welcome to the show. Hi, Omar. How are you doing? Great. Now, before we talk about Baden and Boomerang, tell our audience just a little bit about yourself. My background, I grew up in Burma, and then I came to the United States for college. Then I studied computer science at MIT, went to, you know, different software companies, going from really big companies and they kept going to smaller and smaller companies until I ended up starting my own. Before we dive into more details, we like to kick things off with a success quote to better understand what drives and motivates our guests. What is one of your favorite quotes? Uh, My favorite quote is from Nick Saban, the University of Alabama football coach. And the quote is, focus on the process and what you can control, not the results. And I believe that's really useful for entrepreneurs when you're, you know, working on your company. You just need to keep focusing on what you do, what you do best, and what you need to do to be successful every single day rather than being distracted by what's going on with your competitors or what external factors that you don't control. Yeah, I love that. Now, let's um, start by giving our listeners a better understanding of Boomerang. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I gave the, the audience a quick overview, but tell me a little bit more about who your target customers are and what are the main pain points that you're trying to solve for them? Um, we don't have a very vertically targeted customer, so we have a built a very horizontal product that helps everybody who is busy and everybody who needs to stay on top of their inboxes and make sure they always follow up on important emails. So the main pain point is people forgetting to follow up. So you send an email and you hope to get a response and you don't hear back for, you know, seven days or two weeks. You need to be following up and people are using all kinds of makeshift tools to solve the problem by putting things down on a piece of paper, marking it on calendar, putting it in a folder, but then forgetting to actually go back and check it. So we make it so easy for you to make sure that you don't ever forget to follow up on something that's important. Uh, The second pain point is basically making email less um, synchronous and you can write the email 
and don't have to get up and remember to send it at 7 a.m. exactly. Or people are using it to solve a bunch of timing issues, right? So we know that emails that are sent between um, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. has a much higher chance of being open and read than if you send it at 4 to 7 p.m. So that's basically increase your chance of getting your communication notice. And then there's other teams that are using for uh, cross uh, cross the globe time zone issue. So you're working with a team in China and you want to make sure your conversations or your information is at the top of their mind. You try to send it while they're at the office. So where did the idea for Boomerang come from? Mostly from our own personal pain points. So um, our CEO, Alex Moore, was working at an electrical engineering company, ADI, and he was starting to manage projects. And he was realizing that there are too many balls in the air. And if he doesn't have a system that works consistently for him to keep track, things kind of slip through the cracks. Uh, I was having the same type of issue with, you know, where I was working and starting to understand, hey, sometimes as the... As the you know project owner or project manager, you have to be the one keep following up with everybody, and there isn't an easy way to do that that integrates very well with the, our own email workflow. So, we, the the main advantage of Boomerang is that we wanted to build something that's basically doesn't change how you already work, but enhances it to make sure uh, you are not forgetting. Okay. So, you know, both you and Alex, um, <clears throat> probably along with, you know, millions of other people who, who feel the frustration of, of trying to, to, you know, manage all these, you know, juggling all these balls, had this idea that there was an opportunity to, to create some software. Um, so what, what happened next? Did you, did you know Alex at the time? How did you guys meet? Uh, we we known each other for a while. Um, we are also we were dating at the time. Now uh-huh. we're <laughs> now we're married. He's he started just prototyping, and I was helping out, you know, nights and weekends. So I still have my full time job, and he started already uh, working on the plugins, and I was helping him design and getting stuff. And then the main thing was. I guess when we launch it, we also have Mike, our third co-founder, and then. What we did was, you know, we just needed to get it out there because we didn't know at the time you like you might be able to guess there are other people who have the same problems. But until you put it out on the market, there is no, you know, proof. So we decided that we're just going to launch it. So we went into private beta and to try to get our friends and family to start using it. And we, we were starting to get really good feedback that, hey, I really need this in my life. So we actually just contacted a few journalists. Um, The first one that we contacted was uh, Z at the Next Web. They just wrote about Reportive a few months ago. And, you know, Reportive was at the time uh, super hot and everybody's like, oh, my God. Uh, So I just contacted Z on Twitter and said, hey, we have a, you know, new cold Gmail extension that you might want to look at. And they wrote about it and... Basically, like, that's how we understood the product market fit is like the 
just this one short article on the next web just exploded everywhere, got on tech meme. Uh, at the time, Dig was kind of a big deal. So it went to the front page of Dig. Um, then that got picked up by, you know, more targeted places like Lifehacker, where they have a lot of productivity uh, enthusiasts. So that's basically it. We just prototype, put it out on the web, started telling our friends and then realized there might be a market and just hope that we're right. Were you still in private beta when um, you started getting this uh, media coverage? Yes, we were. Uh, we were still doing private beta with the beta code that you need a code to get in. And when we first put it up, we didn't think it would have been such big of a deal. So we didn't actually make a very robust system of invite code. And people were hacking around it and starting to host the the Chrome extension files on their own servers and stuff. So we kind of have to like kind of scramble around and figure out a more robust system because we didn't know how, what our servers can handle at the time. So we're like, we got to try to, you know, a little bit control how many, we didn't want to like just put it out there, have the server crash and, you know, have everybody schedule messages disappear. So, so, so at the time, if I saw the media coverage about Boomerang and I'd click through a link to get to your website, uh, I wouldn't have been able to get access to it. Uh, would I have been able to sign up for a, um, to get onto a waiting list or a notification yeah. list? Yes. Um, so we usually, when we approach the, you know, places like Lifehacker say, hey, give us the beta code. So usually the article comes with the code itself. And we try to... Um, get some of the code pre-fill into the box if you're coming from the article. But uh, yeah, if you don't have a code, uh, the beta code, or if we're out of the beta code, you can put your email address into a... So it was so sketchy, right? We Our webpage literally has a Google Docs form embedded. So right, if you okay. want to get on a waiting list, you just type into that Google Doc form and it goes into our spreadsheet. That's how we handle the uh, beta users waiting list management. So you guys weren't expecting much traffic, right? We weren't ready. We weren't sure. Like we, we just wanted to know if there are enough, you know, some people out there who want to use it. And then we were going to iterate and make the product better. But it's lucky that, you know, there are a lot more people, but at the same time, we we were very scrappy and just wanted to see if there's a product market fit at all before we invest so much more into, you know, building a perfect website and building the perfect beta code management system. How long did it take you guys to build the first version of that product in the, in the private the, beta? It, um, the first version, probably about two, two months Maybe, yeah, about two months because we started early. We started in June and then in August, we put it out into the beta program. So, And how many people did you have roughly using using the product in the beta? The beta? I think we have the first 30 days, we probably got like 70,000 downloads, maybe a little bit more. Um, so that's. This that's, was in the private beta? Yeah. Wow. So how, how did you, I thought it was just friends and family. How did you suddenly 
get that it's kind of private, well the private as in like you can't use it unless you have a code um the original part with the friends and family we might have maybe 50 to 100 people okay and the 70,000 that was after the media coverage hit yes got it okay all right so you you sort of tested the market and not only did you know people kind of line up to to get access to this product they're also trying to hack it and and you know trying all kinds of workarounds um so you know you you guys are obviously feeling a lot better at that point about um you know the the product market fit right what did you do next uh what do we do next we raise money we try to raise our seed round and then got our seed funding then we started to figure out and there were a lot of holes in the product itself because we just you know built it into two, two and a half months and like the first few weeks like we found out that hey there we you need a way to cancel the messages you already scheduled which wasn't part of our original prototype and we we're like oh right that we need to build so we just build really fast from all the requests that we are getting from the customers. So we had this very passionate early adopters that are telling us, we need this. I can't use this for the cause of this. So I'm using this, but I'm stuck with this. So all this kind of customer requests that are just pouring in and we just have to prioritize and focus and build really fast to get to a state where it's like, hey, this is actually really a minimum viable product. Were you charging for the product at that point? No. But uh, so we always maintain that we were free while we are in beta. So when we first pitched, the journalist would ask, oh, are you going to charge? How much is it? And we kept saying it's free while we are in beta. But we never said it's just a free product. And then the customers themselves, the users themselves started telling me that, hey, I want to donate money to you. You are creating so much value for me. Give me a button, a PayPal button to donate money to you guys. And we try to say, I don't want to use the word donate because that signals, you know, a bunch of developers just uh, doing it for fun and hobby. And we wanted to build a business. So we came up with this term voluntary subscription and just put a box with whatever they want to pay. So we didn't restrict what they can pay. And what we said is if you pay whatever you want, we'll give you one year of free voluntary subscription to Boomerang. And people started paying us. And that was really interesting because we started seeing people paying in the multiples of 12. So we started understanding like they are thinking in terms of a monthly fee. And, you know, people were paying $36, $48, So after like leaving the box for whatever they want, we actually make it, okay, you can pay in these, you know, five layers to find the maximum price that people are willing to pay. And that was a really good move because we found the upper boundary of, you know, how to price our product. And also it validates people are willing to pay because they are getting enough value out of it. But the main challenge with the pricing was we are a horizontal product. That, so the value that people get out varies widely. There are, you know, people who told us and still telling us that we are undercharging for our product because they are using it for sales or customer development and business development purposes. So for them, we are saving so, you know, 
thousands of dollars every month. But then there are people who are using it for their personal email or students and teachers. And they are like, your product is too expensive. I can't afford it. So we have to strike the right balance. And I think we finally have. Okay, so the the voluntary subscription is a really interesting idea, and I've seen some some other types of businesses try that. Do you do you remember roughly how many people, the percentage of your users, um, who uh, actually started paying you? I don't remember. I mean, it's it's at least three or four years ago. Uh, I don't have that figure. Sorry. <laughs> And it's enough for us to think that, hey, you know, we need to really start charging for it. Okay. And then um, how, how long did you continue to run with this voluntary subscription? And at what point did you um, switch to a more sort of structured pricing model? Um, it took us about, so the first like four to six months after the launch, we were just focusing on the product and building more things and fixing anything that's not working quite right and adding the things that people desperately need. Um, after that, I think we started maybe working on building in the subscription and like the infrastructure for the payment around April of the next year. So from August, it's about six months. And then we launched in July with the payment uh, plan and telling our user that, hey, we're going from completely free with voluntary subscription to freemium. Okay. Um, so looking back at those early days, what do you think was one of the biggest mistakes that you guys made? Early, early days? Um I'm not sure. Um, the, I mean, it sounds like it went very well, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, I think what we could have done, maybe, I don't know, that's like, you know, different school of thought, people who wait until they have the perfect product and launch with a ta-da, or people like us who just, you know, get it out there just to see if it's even worth pursuing or if it's worth, you know, committing. And so it's different, you know, we came up, we came up with, crappy website and very minimum product and then just iterate after that. So we like that approach because it's just we are hackers and that's what we do. But I don't know if that's the right approach for everybody. Like it depends on what type of product you have and what type of market you have. And also like at the time we were the first Gmail plugin to do that many events features. So the market is just you know, completely wide open and they just have no other alternative. So everybody's just, you know, breaking it down. So if you're launching a new Gmail plugin today, you probably can't go with, we have two buttons in Gmail. I, I don't understand. Tell me why, why, why this is different. So now that we have started, you know, since we've started, there are a lot more um, competitors out there that are still trying to work on the same problem or just, some, you know, straight out clone what we're doing. So if you're starting something now, it would have to be a lot more bake. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah, got it. Just very early in the in the market. Okay. So you've got, you moved to a structured pricing plan. Let's talk a little bit about what 
you did to acquire more customers? Did you have to go out and start doing any kind of marketing? Um, Where were your users coming from or your customers? Early on, we have very strong organic growth because, you know, as I said, because of the big gap in the market and people were, our users were really getting addicted to the products. So, so they were using it every day and they are just really strong advocates. So we were getting a lot of organic traffic, but we started thinking about how do we make sure we have sustainable traffic that, you know, we can get. And the main challenge is we didn't have much funding. We raised 400K, right? So we had to be creative and find ways to um, market our product and grow the user base without spending a ton of money or without spending at the beginning any money at all. So what we did was we built a lot of the viral loops into the product. So depending on the feature that you are using, uh, we would prompt you to share what you just did or whatever delight you're having at the moment with the product, with the your social network. And that works really well because we are trying to get people at like a time where they're particularly pleased with the product. And that got us pretty good um, growth from just, you know, sustainable, viral, and it's slow going, but it keeps going um, without much effort after the initial uh, building it into the product. And then we also started doing um, a lot of SEO related things, mainly because that's free and that's what we can do. So we started understanding what are people looking for and what are the things that um People are searching in Google to find the product and that fits, you know, their needs. Did you try um, testing other kind of strategies like, um, you know, doing more PR or media outreach or Google AdWords or, or were you just driven by uh, our marketing efforts are going to be driven by whatever we don't have to spend much money on? It was mostly whatever we don't have to spend much money on because we we were gunning for profitability and we wanted to be profitable and we wanted to be independent. So that's why we focus on anything that doesn't cost us money and things that we can build in. Um, there were some, after we got to profitability, we have started looking into, you know, some pay marketing channels. But at the time, we just... We were mainly, you know, driven by how do we reduce costs, but still get new users. Um, The thing about press and media outreach, we were lucky that we have a lot of users. So we got a New York Times article because our customers were the one commenting on the author was asking a question about, I want to do this. How do I do this? And his, you know, readers wrote a comment and they are boomerang users and he wrote about it before we even woke up because we were in the West Coast and he's in my East Coast and we woke up and we were like, we have a New York Times article. Oh, that's great. How did that happen? And we found out it was just our customers telling the journalists. Nice. Very nice. Okay. So this, you know, you'd been up until now, you'd been focusing on this Gmail plugin um, to help people with their email productivity. Um, 
But now you also have a boomerang for Outlook. You have a boomerang calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you, you've already got a, a very horizontal product and a diverse set of users to deal with. Why did you decide to create additional products instead of just focusing on the one? Um, I think it's mainly because our CEO is very crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, he He's trying to, you know, like he's obsessed with email and productivity and we're seeing different needs for um, all these products and they're serving, you know, they're solving different problems and nobody's solving them. So our company as a whole, we love solving productivity problems that people have that only we can solve right in a way. So like we started building Boomerang Calendar because we were having scheduling issues ourselves as the, you know, startup founders trying to raise money or trying to get customers or trying to uh, get, you know, business development relationships. And we realized none of the calendar solutions out there quite solve the pain that we have and we realized they are a little bit of a different set of user base than Boomerang for Gmail. So we didn't want to muddle the product and combine everything and add features that are not relevant to the each other in one big product. Okay, so Boomerang uh, Calendar kind of makes sense because that's sort of an extension of for a Gmail user who who may want some you know additional productivity with their. Google Calendar and scheduling, but, yeah. in schedule, but why, why, why Outlook? I mean, that's a completely different beast. Doesn't that create more headaches for you guys in terms no. of so a separate Boomer code base? Boomerang for Outlook comes before Boomerang for Gmail. So um, when Alice was prototyping, he started out on Outlook, and because we thought it will be the business users that need the most, right? And started the Outlook plugin and tried to see if people will, you know, install and write about it and things like that. And what we found was the early adopters are not on Outlook. So that's why we move on to Gmail. Okay. Um, so you, you're, you're doing sort of, you know, pretty tactical marketing. You, you've got some viral loops built into your product. Um, you're, you're focusing on your SEO um, what did that do? What, what, what kind of traction did you get with attracting customers? Um, tell me about one thing that worked well and one thing that didn't work well. I think one thing that worked well, I would say is really understanding how your users are using the product and knowing what moments are the ones where you are going to ask them to, uh, promote for you. Um, that works really well. Um, our paywall is another thing that we did really well instead of a typical freemium, freemium product that stops you after you use up your, you know, free limits or free messages. We actually build a pretty porous paywall that keeps letting you go a little bit more, but along the way during the paywall process, we are asking you to refer Boomerang to your user, uh, your friends and family or tweet about it. Like there are different ways for you to keep using the product for free if you keep promoting for us. 
then eventually you do have to pay. And we have a final paywall screen that has a, a limerick that tells you that, hey, we're sorry, this is your last message. So I think that worked really well, um, just having a personality and having a unique way of asking people to pay. Um, the one thing that didn't work very well, I think, is our referral program that we built in where if you refer somebody to Boomerang, they get and they signed up for it, you get one month free and they get one month free. But we also wanted it to be kind of instant gratification. So we built in this layer of gambling into it. If you refer somebody to Boomerang and they start, they installed it, you both get a spin at our referral wheel prizes. So that was, <laughs> <laughs> so you both get a spin and you spend it and you know, whatever the, the wheel tells you, you get the prize. So it ranges from like, you know, 25 cents of boomerang credit, free month of boomerang credit to a Kindle fire or some device. And it's, you know, when we were concocting it and designing it and building it, we thought, oh, people will love it. This will, you know, create a lot of buzz because it's just so crazy. And what we found was it makes it a little bit more complicated for our users to understand like what they are actually getting out. And it doesn't create as much of a buzz that we thought it would either. So I think that was one thing that like we invested a lot more time than the payoff. So, so in hindsight, you think just giving your users a much simpler um, referral system, which they can just very easily understand would, would have been a more effective solution. I believe so. Um, we, we haven't tested it out. We haven't had a chance to go back and, you know, redo it. So I'm not sure, but that's my guess. Okay. All right, Mo. So we started this conversation by going back to where the idea for Boomerang came from. And then we've taken this journey together on how you turn that idea into a successful product. Let's talk about the business today. What sort of revenue are you guys doing? Oh, I don't know how much I can say. I think it's just between you and me. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) it's uh, we're doing mid seven figure revenue. Okay, great. Um, and in terms of users and customers, like what sort of scale is the business at? Uh, we are in hundreds of thousands of Google Apps domains. So uh, somebody did us basically uh, not even a study. They just basically compiled like who is using uh, Google Apps as the most installed. And we were number two behind LinkedIn on the number of businesses that are, you know, installing extra things on top of Google apps. So that's pretty good. And in terms of users, I don't know, we just have so many uh, and so very wide range of customers. I, I'm not even sure like what will be a typical customer. So how, how do you, I mean, that's a really interesting point, right? Because a lot of the times we, you know, the conventional wisdom says, you know, niche down, focus on a really small segment of the market where you can really understand that user and customer intimately. It makes it easier to decide which features to build. It makes it easier to decide how to market to that customer. And your customer is like everybody who uses email, right? So so how do you, how do you handle the, the challenges that come with figuring out how to 
prioritize features and and how to market to those those users? Well, prioritizing features, we just try to just keep you know a balance of how many percentage of our users are asking for it, and you know we're pretty analytical about it. And also, there sometimes we would test out in you know before actually building the feature into the thing or into sometime into the pricing grid and see how many people click on it. Um, and there are parts that where you know we kind of have to use our editorial judgment as a company, what kind of company do we want to be and decide based on that. Because, you know, they're, they're track email. So we're in email and a lot of salespeople are using it, right? So there are people who are asking, we want this type of a little bit more intrusive email tracking. And we decide, we, you know, sit together and say, hey, if we do this, we'll make a lot more money. There are people who will say, I'll pay you, you know, 10x more if you do this. But we believe email is a two-way communication device and you don't want to ruin it for the other people who are not your use, using your product. So we said, that's not who we are and we are not just going to do because it will make us more money. What, what's the size of your team? We're only eight people. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot of work for eight people. It is a lot of work. Uh, we are trying. We are hiring right now, and we are actually ramping up our hiring and actually having, you know, carving out the time to actually do the hiring. We've been so busy that we haven't really had time to focus on hiring before, and I think it's something we're trying to fix. What's one thing in your business that you're most excited about right now? Um. So I'm really excited about our mobile client, and you know. So we build our mobile boomerang from Android client and put it out there. And this is the first time we get to um, completely control the experience because we've been on plugins and, you know, we've been building on top of Gmail for a while. So even from aesthetic to where the buttons are and the interaction we have to, we want to make sure it's, you know, a seamless experience. So that means we conform to making sure that we don't break Gmail and making sure we don't break the Gmail's experience. Now we own the entire client ourselves. So that's a little bit more freedom in terms of, you know, both visual design and interactions. So that's really exciting. Uh, My background is in UX and I do a lot of the product design myself here. So that's been awesome. Is the Android version, the app available now? Yes, it's available on the Play Store and you can just look for Boomerang. And is there going to be an iOS version as well? Uh, we're working on it. Um, it's, 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 been, it's been our priority. <laughs> okay, great. Um, the main thing about the mobile app is that it expands us to, um, so we added the exchange support to our Android app. And now we can bring these events boomerang features to, you know, exchange users who are not used to getting much of the email innovation recently, right? So a lot of, um, companies that are coming out with you know all kinds of new email mobile apps, they usually don't support or they don't usually work on exchange at all. So that market is really exciting and there are people who really need it. Now, presumably this opens you up to a whole new category of competitors um, who maybe have started their product from an app perspective. Right. Um, 
and then maybe have been trying to get into building a plugin. Um, now, based on the quote you told me earlier, I'm assuming you guys don't pay much attention to that. We try not to. I mean, we actually, you know, as as a product manager myself, I use competitor products, learn what they do well, learn what they don't do well, uh, try to see their point of view. And that's about it. We try to focus on what we're going to do and what will make our customers happier and what will increase value for our customers. Great. Okay, Mo, it's now time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I'd like you to answer them just as quickly as you can. Are you ready? Yeah. Great. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? I think it's early on our, in our company history. Is, uh, one of our advisors said you need to focus on one thing at a time. So that's, I think, is a very good business advice. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? I would say Influence. Uh, it's by, I'm blanking out on the name. I'll follow up with you later on the name of the author. Uh, it's mainly understanding what convinces people, right? What What are the words that you use? What are the things that, what are the principles out there that will convince the other person? And that really is helpful for marketers. And when you're looking for optimizing your conversion, it's it gives you a psychological way of thinking about what can I offer? What can I say that will convince people to download or buy or whatever it is that you want them to do for your product? I think that's the one by Robert Cialdini, right? Cialdini, yes. Cialdini, okay. Okay, uh, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? They are, I believe, relent- relentlessly optimistic. So they actually never give up and they always see the, you know, possibility and the excitement and the potentials of whatever they are doing. So I've seen a lot of successful entrepreneurs and they are all incredibly and relentlessly optimistic. If you had to start over tomorrow, what uh, would you do to go and find that next business opportunity? Um, I don't think I have had time to think about the next things because we're so busy <laughs> with this company. And I think it's going to be multiple, multiple years to come that we're working on this company. So I don't know. <laughs> okay. Now, apart from Boomerang, what's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? I would say it's a physical tool, my convertible standing desk. It always, you know. When I get into a rut or starting to get a slump, I was, you know, put uh, put it into the standing mode and start working standing up. And that's been my favorite personal productivity hack. Now, I know you didn't want me to ask you this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Most people don't know. Well, I really don't have anything. Um, I have never had any bones broken. (laughs) (laughs) We'll go with that one. And finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Uh, Reading. I read a lot. I'm trying to read 50 books this year. I am at 37 or 38, so I need to really catch up in December or I won't make my 50 books goal. Wow. 
Well, good luck with that. Thank you. Great answers. Um, Mo, I want to thank you for joining me today and sharing your experiences and insights. And thank you for letting us get to know you a little better personally as well. Now, if folks want to find out about the various Boomerang products or they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, for various products, you can just go to our website, com. And then if you just want to install Boomerang, it's boomerangmail.com. To talk to me personally, I'm on Twitter at A-Y-E-M-O-A-H. Awesome. Mo, thank you again, and I wish you guys continued success. Thank you. Take care. Bye.